Well, hello, Ned. Oh, well, hello, Brad. Welcome back. Things. Welcome back. And welcome to my home. Yes, uh, this is the first time. So a new recording, uh, a new uh, podcast, and a new spot for our recording. Absolutely. We are sitting in my tree fort house. Tree fort. It's chilly outside. It right? is chilly outside. You'll notice some ambient noises are a bit different in this new house. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. But still a very warm embrace. Fireplace is going. And I couldn't think of a better environment to commence our first new podcast after Brad Ned the 55, as all our listeners will remember, we've got a new format. Well, a new format. Before we launch into this new format, a thought occurred to me the other day as I was as I was on the bus. Those four um, episodes we recorded of Brad and Ned at the 55 amount to my sole contribution to human culture. Well, I think, well, you know, more, there's going to be more contribution. Yeah, that really is all I've given in the well, 44 years I've been alive. You know, but... Quality work. It was. It was quality pretty good. Work, it was pretty yeah. good stuff. Yeah. And now we're going to launch into an exciting new world of quality work. This is the first of what we anticipate will be five episodes that we are calling Brad and Ned's Top 5 Albums. Brad and Ned's Top 5 Albums! Uh, during this show, we're going to explore two albums each, one for each of us, two albums per episode, uh, of albums that... We consider top five, not globally top five, but for us personally, these albums have a particular resonance. Yeah, I think in some cases these albums, you know, they may be albums, you know, fairly common. People have heard before. Maybe they were commercially popular, but in some cases they won't be commercially popular. They're just going to mean something to us. And, uh, you know, we'll explain what that is and hopefully expose some people to some different uh, areas of music. And on this first show, I think we've got a pretty good contrast going on. We've got a, a Harvard <laughs> mathematics professor up against the original outlaw country singer. <laughs> right. Sounds perfect. So, Ned, why don't you start? Uh, tell us a bit about your top, uh, your first of your top five. Albums. Okay. So, so the way I'm approaching this, uh, this show, uh, I should say right now that we, have, we had a few ground rules. One of them is that one of the five albums has to be something you're pretty embarrassed by. Uh, and another one of them has to be a Canadian album. And I think it's only fair to say that the Canadian album can't be something you're pretty embarrassed by. No, no, it does have to be two two birds with one stone, no. Now, I've also personally set a couple of rules for myself, or at least one rule, and that is I want to do like five albums that that represent albums that I loved at particular points in my life. So I'm going to start off with childhood, I'm going to start off with with young Ned in the living room on Phillips Street in, in Halifax by my by my parents' record player, and going through their kind of strange record collection. It was a lot of classical music. Sure, uh, I have no interest in classical music. Fair enough. I don't like music without words. I've noticed my kids don't like music without words. Whenever I try to play them jazz, they're like, "Where are the words?" And I'm like, "There are no words." <laughs> they're just and, yeah, and, yeah. And they, <laughs> yeah. They got no appreciation for that. And in fact, I the, the thing that always attracted me about what I could find in my parents' record collection were the albums with lots and lots of words. Okay. So so there was a lot of, uh, there was quite a few Elvis Costello albums. There was a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan. All right. And there was the album we're going to talk about tonight. And that is Tom Lehrer's That Was The Week That Was. So tell us a bit about Tom. <laughs> so, okay. so this uh, was a great selection, by yeah. the way. So uh, probably... As people can guess, uh, for once we've done a little bit of work, yeah. Uh, and we we went through our each of our albums for today, and we just uh, listened to a few of the selections that Ned's going to so, play. So this is an album I really haven't listened to since I was probably really? about about twelve years old. Yeah, well, I this, mean it, it it's embedded in my mind in the way that you know in the way that you um, 
young children are, are very easy to pick up yep. pick up languages. Yeah. Um, I wasted those years and, and that, <laughs> that, that gift that, that nature has given us to instead memorize the lyrics to Tom Lehrer and Gilbert and Sullivan <laughs> albums and Thompson Twins songs. So in this case, uh, I think your selection, though, or at least having something permeate your mind from such a young age, this is pretty solid, actually. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting selection. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first say who Tom Lehrer is. So Tom Lehrer is a bit of a bit of a phenomenon, or was a bit of a phenomenon. He was um, a a mathematics professor who, for a few years in the late fifties and early sixties, um, gained some notoriety as the writer and singer of satirical songs. So it was an interesting history. Um, Jewish guy growing up on the Upper East Side in New York. His dad was an innovative necktie manufacturer, according to, <laughs> really? the, that's according to the research I did. Okay. Um, a prodigy, musical prodigy and a mathematics prodigy, got into Harvard at age 15. Wow. Graduated by 19 and then did a master's in mathematics for his military service. So this would have been the, the early 50s. I guess he worked at the NSA, okay. where he claims to have invented the jello shot. Um <laughs> Probably his best contribution to the national security. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But but during his time at Harvard, I guess uh, he had just sort of, for the amusement of his friends, started writing fairly um, fairly ribald songs. He was a very good piano player. He okay. was a very good piano player. He's still alive. Um, started writing these these ribald songs, and then as he was graduating, I guess he went out and like self recorded, self published uh, sure. an album to give to his friends. It word got out. I don't know how it went viral in the age before. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. In the age before, it's internet. hard for things to get viral at that time. I, you know, I mean, it's. I think it was probably sort of a, a closed, tight little circle, you know, of Harvard elite people, students. Yeah, and so, the coffee house culture was and the probably coffee, yeah. happening about that time. So so anyway, he he, he gained some notoriety. Um, it grew by by performing in, in coffee houses and, and nightclubs, and then so he got a, he got a contract to, to record a, a couple of albums. He sort of stopped recording and playing live in around 1960 1961, but then was revived in '65 on this sort of precursor to Saturday Night Live called right. That Was the Week That Was, right. where he was brought in as the the in-house songwriter. So it's it's an interesting mix of songs. So so the the album I've listened to was recorded in '65. It's a collection of the songs he did for that show. That was sure. the week that was. Sure. And it's it's satirical songs about mid sixties politics. So, so if you can probably tell, I mean, I would imagine from the guy's background, from Tom Lehrer's background, a bit of a progressive, progressive, yeah, for yeah. the most part, I think, anti hippie. So I should say that he, he was okay. sort of like the nineteen fifties left. Um, he, right. he stopped recording. His last performance was in sixty seven. It was probably around that time of that Copenhagen show we were watching sure, online. Sure. Uh, he, he stopped performing because he, I think he didn't like the, the, the way culture was going. He just didn't like the hippiness. Right. Fair enough. He, he's a pretty buttoned down guy. So, but, but still like if you, and you'll get it from the music we're going to play, you, uh, yeah, some progressive leanings. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 He was, um, condemned in time magazine. There was an article from like 1959 where he was lumped in with Lenny Bruce, who of course was, yes. you know, upcoming yeah. and Mort Saul. Well, I'm not really sure who that is, but I, I Wikipedia him and he was a, he was one of the original stand-up comedians of the 1950s as sort of the new degenerate comedy. So you don't, you don't hear it so much on the album we're going to listen to tonight, but his earlier songs weren't so much politically focused. They were, they were more um, just a, a dirty good time. Okay. So, so he had one song called I Got It From Agnes, which, is this, which, which doesn't say anything explicitly, 
but is clearly about venereal disease and the, the, the chain of transmission of venereal disease. And as the chain goes back, you know, it, it, it takes on more and more, you know, it takes on homosexuality. So Pierre got it from Francois oh, and then, and then Sally got it from her dad. And then like James got it from his dog. So it just goes into this without, without, you know, using any obscenities, it just gets more and more perverse. Right. Um, and certainly perverse for, for 1950s uh, culture. Um, Poisoning Pigeons in the Park was a, was another of his big songs. But the album we're listening to is strictly sort of like 1960s satire. So as a kid in the early 80s, early to mid 80s, sitting by my parents' record player, I had no idea what most of these songs are about. Sure. So, so there's one called the MLF Lullaby, which is about the multilateral force, which was like this, this, this I guess this failed... It's a NATO nuclear NATO strength yeah, force, yeah, exactly. wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And I guess the controversy was the Germans would have a say in this. But I mean, it's like, oh yes, the MLF, that, that means a lot to a 10-year-old in 1980. Uh, it doesn't mean much to a 45-year-old yeah, exactly. in 2017. Exactly. And, so. and, and there's a couple about, there's one about like Hubert Humphrey, who I had yes. no idea yeah, who that was at the time. And, and one of the interesting things is like, like growing up, this has always been a sort of a point of reference because these have been these kind of like mysteries to me. Who the hell are these people? What is yeah. he talking about? So as I grew up and learned more about what was going on at the time, it's like pieces sort of like click into place. It's like, oh, oh that's, that's what, what Tom Lehrer was, was talking about. So what are we going to listen to? But the, so the selections we're going we're gonna to take a look at right now, the first one is was the one that stuck with me the most in terms of lyrics. Uh, it's National Brotherhood Week. Oh, yes. Um, it contains some references that I'm like, Lena Horn. I now know who Lena yep. Horn is, yep. but uh, at the time I certainly didn't. But once he gets into into talking about religions, you know that uh, that one really stacks. still yeah. resonates yeah. quite well. So so let's let's listen to National Brotherhood Week by Tom Lehrer. The white folks hate the black folks, and the black folks hate the white folks. To hate all but the right folks is an old established rule. But during National Brotherhood Week, National Brotherhood Week, Lena Horn and Sheriff Clark are dancing cheek to cheek. It's fun to eulogize the people you despise as long as you don't let them in your school. So I'm still not sure who Sheriff Clark is. <laughs> well, we know who Lena Horne is. I, I know who Lena, Lena Horne is. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty smart. So we didn't play the whole album. We just yeah. spoke about, about it. Uh, there's a great piece. Our listeners should go tune in on YouTube, pull it up. There's a great piece at the end about how religions all hate each other yeah. and yeah. everybody hates the Jews. And there's, 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 there's a YouTube channel dedicated to do nothing but uh, Tom Lehrer videos. So it's where we, where we were watching earlier. Uh, I think it's run by some Norwegian guy. So, so Tom Lehrer, like, just he didn't exactly disavow everything he recorded, right. but but he gave away the masters of all his recordings to oh, just really? a, just a friend of his. And then the guy who runs this Tom Lehrer YouTube channel got in touch with him, um, being like, and wanted to apologize because he'd been posting stuff and and figured he was probably violating copyright. And and Tom Lehrer was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Right. Yeah, <laughs> he really he really doesn't care. He's a bit of a J.D. Salinger figure in that okay, yeah. he wrote a total of 37 songs, recorded them, last performed in 67, and just has done nothing since then. Well, sorry, he has done things since then. He's gone to on to um, teach mathematics and uh, musical theater. At, which he was. Uh, in Santa Cruz. Yeah. So what's our next one we're going to listen to? So the next one we're going to listen to is clearly one that, that leaped out at me when I was a kid. 
Um, it wasn't really about the politics of the time. It's a perennial topic that I think any any young budding boy will uh, will will take an interest in, and that's the song "Smut." Um, let's just listen to it right now. I do have a cause, though. It is obscenity. I'm for it. Thank you. Unfortunately, the civil liberties types who are fighting this issue have to fight it owing to the nature of the laws as a matter of freedom of speech and stifling of free expression and so on. But we know what's really involved. Dirty books are fun. That's all there is to it. <laughs> but you can't get up in the court and say that, I suppose. It's simply a matter of freedom of pleasure, a right which is not guaranteed by the Constitution, unfortunately. Anyway, since people seem to be marching for their causes these days, I have here a march for mine. It's called Smut. Give me smut and nothing but A dirty novel I can't shut If it's uncut and unsut Tall I've never quibbled If it was ribbled I would devour Where others merely nibbled As the judge remarked the day That he acquitted my Aunt Hortense To be smut it must be utterly Without redeeming social importance Or the graphic pictures I adore Indecent magazines galore I like them more If they're hardcore So a good, uh, a good plug. I think there has been some reference to, I think one of the episodes we, or one of the videos we watched, reference to probably a recent Supreme Court case in the United States that tried to define uh, yes, pornography. Yeah, and, and I think that was the topical issue that, that gave rise to this also right, on the right, show. Yeah. I, I tried to watch the show. This uh, That was the week that was. It was an English show, so there was an English show that ran for a couple of seasons, and then it got picked up by NBC to try to do an American version. Right. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't know if it was live or all the recordings have been lost except oh. for the pilot episode. So I tried okay. watching some of the pilot episode, or at least they had like an acetate recording okay. of the sound of the pilot pilot episode that you know was obviously available on youtube it wasn't very good not very good no, no it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> well it the pilots are always good. rough yeah that's true so that's maybe they haven't worked maybe out all the details finally tuned it out for that yeah but yeah so the so the, the topical issue was was i can't remember which supreme court case it was but defining um smut as lacking what is it redeeming social redeeming importance social so, importance, so the exactly. rhyming with importance ah man it took me years to figure out that he was saying Aunt Hortense. I thought it was like, because I just got so used to the notion that there were words and concepts in these in these that I didn't understand. Sure. I, I thought it was one word, Aunt Hortense. <laughs> Aunt Hortense. Like some sort of Greek concept. That I was good, like, ah, oh, yeah, sure. It's a good know? thing you didn't use that in popular yeah, conversations. Yeah, that's Aunt Hortense to me. <laughs> My older child keeps trying to say thus forth. Oh, like, that's thus forth. I'm like, no, man. That's you know, I found myself saying the other day, uh, misunderestimate. And I really had to check myself. Oh yeah, it leaks in. I don't it know does. How it happens, uh, well, man. I mean, I used to used to work with uh, with a guy from Newfoundland, and I used to sort of like use his his you know colloquialisms just sure. like, just yeah. for fun. Yeah, for fun. And then and then it just became the way uh, the way I spoke start about things. Talking, like yeah. That. Where are you too? Where you, you know? It's like yeah, buddy. And it's it's nice to it's nice to talk that way. It's it's fun. So what's our third choice? So the Tom third choice is. Man, this goes back. So this goes back to Vatican II. It's a it's a pithy little musical satire of Vatican II, the way, you know, we all want to listen to. <laughs> Except the song's hilarious, the piano playing's great, uh, the rhymes. So I grew up Catholic, 
mm-hmm. sort of Catholic. I was a, I was an altar boy briefly. I was the worst altar boy. I like, can see that. Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't get the 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 you know the intricacies of the the ceremony. Well, there's down. a lot of yeah, there's a lot of ceremony there's a lot of standing up and sitting down. Like I wasn't even good in the audience at yeah. that church. You know, I couldn't yeah. figure out what was going on. I was just it's like worse than Canada Day so now. So being on stage, uh, yeah. So being on stage and you gotta you gotta light the candles and bring the priest the, yeah. the cookies at the right time. I was just awful. I don't know if they're cookies. Yeah. Did you, you ever you ever do communion? No, I am not Catholic. I grew up in a rather secular household, and yeah. uh, so never. Uh, ventured into it, but uh, I understand that to be the body of Christ. Uh, yeah, if so, he's he's pretty dry and he's tasteless. not tasty. Yeah, it's like he you, you puts on your tongue and it just like sucks all the moisture out. Uh, after a couple thousand years, you know, bound to not yeah, yeah, that's true actually. Uh, but yeah, so so some of these these concepts I was I was aware of genuflect sure. transubstantiation, but um, this this one is great. I think I think way. it's his best song. Yeah, this is this actually shows in my mind. A lot of creativity and yeah. songwriting, uh, and and in performing. So yeah, let's have a listen. Yeah, let's kick this off. Get in line in that processional. Step into that small confessional. There, the guy who's got religion. I'll tell you if your sin's original. If it is, try playing it safer. Drink the wine and chew the wafer. Two, four, six, eight. Time to transubstantiate. So get down upon your knees. Fiddle with your rosaries. Bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Make a cross on your abdomen. When in Rome, do like a Roman. Ave Maria, gee, it's good to see you. Getting ecstatic and sort of dramatic and doing the Vatican right. We commented earlier, too, about how uh, good a, a pianist he is. I, w- I was reading anecdotes, doing some research for this, and it was like the most musically nerdy claim to fame. It was like he was playing Chopin in one key with his left hand and another key with his right hand. And, you know, everybody who in his, you know, Harvard common room was very impressed by this. Yeah, I think he was, uh, well, you can tell that he's, he's a very uh, talented piano player. And as I say, he didn't ever finish his PhD. Really? No. Yeah, he was, he was in work- mathematics, in mathematics. He was, okay. he was working at it for 15 years. And, uh, then just gave up on it. Really? Around the time that this was recorded, which is sort of around the time that he also stopped doing music, and, and just kind of disappeared from uh, from public view. Dr. Demento Radio Show. Uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. I guess yeah. was, was a big fan of him. Weird Al Yankovic has put out uh, some sense. stuff about him. Yeah, makes um, sense. There was an interview with him on the AV Club of website from like I think 2015 that I was reading. So he's he's still pretty sharp. Okay. Um, and, and he was just sort of commenting on on the state of state of satire. He, he was famous for saying satire died when Kissinger won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Fair fair comment. But but he yeah. seemed he still seemed to be. Oh God, he must be he must be in his 80s now. Okay. Um, yeah. But but you know he was he was a big fan of The Simpsons. Uh, oh yeah. Hated Dennis Miller. So you know oh, I'm, yeah, I'm with him, yeah, I'm with him yeah, on yeah, those things. Yeah. And he seemed like a pretty sharp guy, but just no interest in in continuing on. You know with his musical career. Okay. He, he seemed happy. He, he was an instructor in mathematics, and uh, I think he, he was an instructor at uh, University of California at Santa Cruz and somewhere on the East Coast. I can't remember okay. where on the East Coast, but probably somewhere pretty decent. So you know making a making a decent living. Yeah. Yeah, and um, this thing. yeah, wasn't wasn't interested in sort of burnishing his legacy at all. They okay. they did a uh, 
they did a musical of him, uh, of his songs in, in like 1980 that uh, I think was reasonably successful. Didn't play on Broadway or anything, but I think it, it played in like the West End of London. Okay. But that was really the last thing he's done. He's done. Wow. Oh, no, sorry. I'm I, correct. He recorded a couple of songs, wrote and recorded a couple of songs. I don't remember. Do you remember The Electric Company? Yes, the kids show. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of, it was a spinoff uh, Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah, spin-off yeah from, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was the, um, yeah. What, the children's, children's work, television yeah. workshop. Yeah. yeah, so I guess I did a couple of songs for him as well. I that thought makes I sense, still actually. To, that makes I still sense. have to dig those songs up because yeah. I remember, hey, you guys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, that was a, yeah, that that was a great sense. That was like the sophisticated, like for, you know. Yeah, that was Sesame Street for smart kids. Yeah, for the sophisticated set. I didn't get it, but fair enough. So Tom Larry. Tom Lara, yeah. Uh, everybody, That's... go out there, look him up, take a listen. It's it's worth it. All right. So that was Ned's. Uh, and that's a pretty good one. But we're going to take a complete 180 here. <laughs> yes. If you could make any more. A complete of a 360. Or maybe and, a 360 yeah. and come right back around. Uh, so my album is actually a compilation album. And I didn't really realize that until we started researching it. Uh, the album is entitled Wanted the Outlaws. Uh, it features four... Uh, well, I would argue two, if not three, giants of country music and a fourth gentleman yes. who is included, I think, more at the behest of one of the... Who happened to be giants. in the recording studio. <laughs> yeah, to be there. Do you want to throw some stuff in? So, uh, Wanted the Outlaws uh, features Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Jesse Coulter, and Tom Paul Glazier. Uh, so, to give a little background of this, the album was released in January of 1976, and uh, you kind of need to have some sort of background of country music and what country music was and the business that was country music in the 1950s and 60s. So at that time, the uh, country music was very much controlled by Nashville. It's very much a business. And uh, the Nashville sound, as it was called, was uh, very clean. Uh, it was rhinestone suits, uh, big shiny Cadillacs, you know, clean cut, uh, cowboy hats, things of this nature. And yeah, there was a certain format that had to, that you had to go through and all artists that went into Nashville, which was the home of country music. And I think arguably still is the home of country music. Um, yeah. They had to come out looking a certain way. It sounded like, so, so we were watching, um, Mike Judge's, uh, animated documentary series, oh, uh, Tales from the Tor yeah. Tor Bus about Waylon Jennings. And it kind of sounded like the kind of control that the producers and the record labels were trying to exert over artists. In terms of the like control over their image and the songs that they were going to exactly. sing, it made me think of uh, Motown. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very analogous to what was going on in Nashville in the 1950s and 60s. And uh, this all kind of came to a head with with Willie Nelson originally. Now, Waylon's often considered the father of the outlaw movement on an album we'll talk about in a second. But Willie was the first one to sort of break away from his contract with RCA and move out to Texas, leave Nashville. And the idea that a recording artist, a country music recording artist, would leave Nashville and move elsewhere to start issuing, to start recording albums was considered insane. Uh, everyone figured when Willie left Nashville, that's it. We'll never hear of this this crackerjack but ever again. Willie was kind of insane. Like the albums oh, he yes. was recording at that time were like sci-fi country oh, yes. concept albums. A lot of concept, and that yeah. it's, it's a good in uh, a good introduction here to talk about the one of the first song I want to feature off this uh, compilation album. So Willie, before he left RCA, released uh, an album called Yesterday's Wine. 
Uh, it featured the title track, Yesterday's Wine, but also had a three-minute spoken word piece where he sort of rambled for quite a bit about... Uh, it's almost uh, difficult to understand what he's talking about. Uh, the album is hard to find. I think you can get it on YouTube. What's the album called? Yeah, it's actually called Yesterday's Wine. It is Yesterday's Wine. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna and have to uh, it's not really... It was not popular at all. However, what's ironic about it is that there was actually some great music on it. But because it was a concept album, had these huge pieces of spoken word, RCA just did not want to market it. They didn't want to sell it. They they were annoyed by it. And this was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back with him. And that's why he left RCA and moved out to Texas with a new recording album. That same song finds its way onto Wanted the Outlaws. And uh, let's take a listen. I think you'll agree it's a great song. Miracles appear in the strangest of places Fancy meeting you here The last time I saw you was just out of Houston Sit down, let me buy you a beer Your presence is welcome with me and my friend here this is a hangout of mine We come here quite often and listen to music Partaking of yesterday's wine Yesterday's wine I'm yesterday's wine Aging with time like yesterday's wine Yesterday's wine We're yesterday's wine Aging with time Like yesterday's wine Minor quibble. Yes. Aging with time. Like yesterday's wine. I mean, it, it does rhyme with yesterday's <laughs> it wine. Does. But it is a little self-evident. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, exactly. Yes, yesterday, yesterday's wine definitely uh, makes yeah. sense. Aging with time. Aging with time. Uh, yeah, I think, I remember, uh, so I'll get in, I guess I've yeah. kind of uh, jumped into a bit. We'll get into why this album's important to me. But uh, as I listen to that, that takes me back. I love yeah. this album. I love that song. I think it's great. Uh, Willie Nelson has one of the stellar voices. He does. Well, I'm, and it's interesting that him and Waylon Jennings, who we'll listen to in a second in their compilation, uh, or sorry, their duet that they perform uh, for this album, they have very different sounding voices in some ways. Like Willie's a bit uh, nasally, yeah. uh, whereas Waylon is just like the solid baritone, uh, just fantastic. But they do offset each other quite well. One thing I noticed uh, listening to this album, the, the Waylon Jennings song, for all his outlawness, yeah. The recording is very clean. Like he it, sings it like technically very well. Like yeah. it's not sloppy. It's no, uh, no, exactly. And and I think uh, yeah, the outlaw concept uh, really was it was just that. I mean, they didn't really invent it. Uh, we'll talk a bit in a second about the album that sort of considered the uh, start of the outlaw country music genre. But they, for years, Waylon Jennings actually sort of railed against the, the outlaw country music label. 
he thought it was just another excuse to sell albums and he was annoyed by it. But then at some juncture, actually shortly after this album and after this album became so popular, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, is where he started realizing that, no, this actually is a thing. And yeah, it is marketable, you know, like in, you know, they had, they grew their hair long. They had long beards. They did a lot of drugs. They drank a lot. Although uh, it looked like they were doing a lot of drugs even before the album. Yeah, probably. Yeah, this was very according, true. According to this very Mike true. documentary. Yeah, no but, doubt they did. Yeah. But they at least had the clean cut look to yeah. them that Nashville wanted. This definitely looked a lot different. Yeah. It, it uh, was, uh, they were, they looked a lot edgier. There are a lot more electric guitar in it. Uh, the beats were different. The chords were different. And, uh, and they definitely had uh, a look that was considered somewhat, somewhat edgy. Um, so the next one we're going to listen to here is uh, uh, where Willie and uh, Waylon performing together. They had recorded this on an early album. Like I say, this is a compilation album, uh, One of the Outlaws. It's called A uh, Good-Hearted Woman. Uh, it's a bit more countryish in tradition, but uh, it's a classic. All right, here we go. A long time forgotten with dreams of this fell by the way. The good life he promised ain't what she's living today. Really? But she never complains of the bad times or the bad things he's done wrong. Just talks about the good times they've had and all the good times to come. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good time and man. She loves him in spite of his ways. She don't understand. So I've often thought that too would make a pretty good ballad for most of the relationships I've been in uh, through my adult years, you know, the long suffering woman having to tolerate, yeah. my, you know, my uh, ridiculousness. Speaking <laughs> of like a good, on this album, a song I was listening to that made me think about maybe not the, the conversations we record for the podcast, but sure. you know, us being grumpy about being old men. Yes. Uh, slow moving outlaw. Oh, yeah. Well, so that is actually, Slow Woman Outlaw is actually on a re-released version of this album. It wasn't on the original track. Oh, okay. No, it, this album was re-released in 96, yeah. uh, 20th anniversary, and it was part of uh, it was part of an extended album cut. Do you want to listen to it? It wasn't on our original list of uh Yeah, songs. let's take yeah, a listen. Stations are being torn down, and the high flying trains no longer roll. The floors are all sagging with boards that are suffering from not being used anymore. So although, although I mean, 
he doesn't come out and say it. I think the subtext of that is I've got to get up to pee three times in the yeah, I think pretty much that's, that's what Raylan was getting at with that. That was, song. Uh, yeah, so that's a bit darker, yeah. you know, a little slower, uh, and more of a traditional country tune for sure. Uh, so the last one we're going to listen to here uh, is uh the the recording from the album that sort of launched the the outlaw country music genre so the album was called honky tonk heroes uh and this was the title track from it i think it's the best song on this album it's fantastic now honky tonk heroes uh the song itself was uh, actually written by uh billy joe schaefer uh billy joe schaefer was kind of a you know, uh, fairly well known, not well known now, I don't think, but well known in the Nashville scene. The name rings a bell, not that yeah. I'm in the Nashville scene yeah, much exactly. anymore. But, yeah, uh, in definitely in the 60s, 70s, 80s of the Nashville world. But again, like sort of a guy more linked to the outlaw, uh, outlaw genre of country music. Uh, this song, this album, sorry, was released in 1972, Honky Tonk Heroes by Waylon Jennings. And most people consider this the start of that uh, sort of outlaw genre. So uh, let's have a listen to Honky Tonk Heroes. Here we go. Low down leaving sun Done did everything that needs done Woe is me Why can't I see I'd best be leaving well enough alone them neon lighting nights Couldn't stay out of fights Keep a-haunting me in memories Well, there's one in every crowd For crying out loud Why was it always turning out to be me? Where does it go? The good Lord only knows Seems like it was just the other day I was down at Green Gables Hawking them tables and generally below and all my hard-earned pain Piano rolled flutes, danced holes in my shoes There weren't another other way to be For lovable losers, no account losers And honky-tonk heroes like me So that was a bit of a longer cut than what we've we've put on tonight, but I think uh, you wouldn't get a sense of the song. Until yeah, you sort of exactly, because you that just sort of up. get that original sort of swanky, uh, you know, Texas dance hall type uh, music, and then all of a sudden you cut to something that's more of a uh, little more rockier. So, but speak. even in, even in that song and both parts of that song, certainly in the intro, bit, yeah, like there's almost like a musical theater quality to yeah. his singing. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like it's not. It's not the the rugged, rough, you know, too much, uh, too many, too much whiskey, too yeah, many cigarettes, exactly. Kind of sound, like, and, which is again, I think, why sort of Waylon Jennings, uh, and for what I understand, I think too, Willie Nelson sort of railed against the outlaw thing. 
because they didn't really feel like it was uh, necessarily echoed in their music in all yeah. cases. But again, what where the Outlaw brand came from, if you can call it a brand as much as anything, was really more about doing your own thing. You know, getting out of an, uh, getting out of Nashville, getting out of uh, being underneath the thumb of the of the of the record producers and record companies that were running Nashville at the time, and recording music that you wanted to record based on your own artistic freedom. Um, what happened to sort of coincide with that was long hair, you know, long beards, sort of a more rough and rowdy, uh, atmosphere. But what it also started to do, and this sort of resonates in the documentary that we talked about earlier, uh, that people really need to see, like, I actually want to go and watch that again right now. That was so good. Was it started bringing together whole different groups of, of listeners. It was the hippies and the the hippies and cowboys. Yeah. Uh, and this sort of resulted in, this album in particular, uh, really, really launching the outro, outlaw uh, genre and selling across the board in, in different markets. It went number one in the country uh, country album uh, charts. It went number 10 in the pop charts and was a the first country music, uh, country music album to sell platinum. Yeah, I mean, even I was aware of this, raised as I was in a PBS telephone by, you know... <laughs> My parents dressed entirely in corduroy. Um, yeah, I was aware of this album. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that clearly, it, it penetrated. Yeah. yeah. So this is an example, I think, of what we're trying to do on this podcast uh, over the next couple of weeks is, so, you know, Ned's album, uh, important to him for a very personal reason, although the music is great and I'm really glad we expose it to people. This album, uh, certainly much more commercially popular and probably more well-known, but that isn't exclusively why it made my To list. be fair, all my parents' friends knew this album. Of course, all my yeah. parents' friends were also English professors. We're English professors. <laughs> there you go, man. So my... I knew of three other people who knew my album. <laughs> so this is uh, this is uh, where th- this album becomes my favorite album. wasn't so much. It's obviously good. And by going platinum, first country album to go platinum, uh, a lot of people thought it was good. I have the most fond memories. So much like you, rooting through your parents' uh, rather creative record collection. Did you have eight tracks? We had eight tracks. Yes. yes, we had eight tracks. So records weren't as big in my house. Uh, growing up on a farm in uh, rural Saskatchewan, you spent a lot of time in your vehicles driving places because nothing is near you. And you spent a lot of time in your tractors. And so uh, pretty much anything that had an internal combustion engine and wheels had an eight track player in it. Tractors had eight track players. Oh yeah, you, well you could put an eight track player okay. in anything, yeah. man. If you just wire it yeah, up. Fair enough. So, uh, and my dad had a great eight track collection. This album was in that eight track collection, and I remember I have the fondest memories of our 1976, 78 maybe white Chevy van uh, with crushed velvet uh, curtains oh, and shag carpeting. No. Oh, it was amazing, man. And it was one of those Did it vans. Have that little porthole window. Yes, the little porthole window, <gasps> so and then the beautiful. one side like big window but not turned uh, horizontally, uh, running like sort of <gasps> vertically up yes. and down. Yes. Oh, that is classic. And the whole other side just completely, you can't see out of it at all. Yeah. How anyone parallel parked with these vans is well beyond me, but because uh, you couldn't see anything. Did you really there. need to parallel park much? In That's a good point. It's a I always van. forget the name of your town. Uh, <laughs> Is it a, it's not a, a It's a Cinnaboya. Yeah. You no, know, not a lot of parallel parking, but you know, periodically you go to the city and you might need to yeah. do it. Uh, so I have the f- most fond memories of uh, sitting in the back of this van. No seatbelts, of course. Of course, yeah. Don't need those. Uh, this album being played on the 8-track player and just thinking this was the greatest music. Uh, fast forward many, many years. 
Um, I was a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to the modern uh, way of consuming music. Uh, I was still buying CDs up until a few years ago, still looking for record shops, even though those are pretty much gone. Oh, no, they're back. They're back. Well, they're back now as uh, vinyl, but yeah. to buy oh, CDs, as a, as CDs is pretty yes. difficult. No. Yeah. And uh, so finally getting into iTunes and, and, and you know purchasing music online and was so happy to see this album uh, up on iTunes and to be able to play it. And now just, of course, just to be able to stream it online. Uh, it's great. really takes me back. So it's interesting that you should should bring that up, the notion of like the way we're consuming music changing. Because and we're talking about albums, specifically albums, which are kind of like a dated thing in themselves. Yeah, I've because, thought about that. Because too. now that you know I've got I've got the Apple music service, so yeah. I basically I have access to all the music. And and I no longer have that sort of tight personal You don't with a, with a full music. album. You yeah. have you, you may have a personal connection to a song. Yeah. But there's no investment when you can just yeah. choose the single song you want. Instead of having to digest this whole album, and that may be part of the reason why, like, it's great to have it. So when we're digging through, looking for these old these old albums, we can find them. But all the albums we're going to be talking about are before the streaming age. Oh yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah. Unless yeah, you've got like exactly. a little easy No, no, I don't. Like Every, yeah. Everything's coming yeah. through this way, and I think that's what you're right. That's what sort of creates the intimacy and the connection with these albums outside of whatever commercial success they might have had. You know, case in point, if if you go back to Wanted, the Outlaws, you know, two other. So we focus on Willie and Waylon. Yeah, the big you know, names. Like they're that. the big names. Uh, Jesse Coulter, uh, who was Waylon Jennings' wife, they married in '67. I think she had a great uh, independent career of her own, and she features uh, on a couple of songs, actually three, "Suspicious Minds" with a duet with uh, with Waylon, and then uh, a couple more. On She's the, got a killer track on here um well there's i'm looking for blue eyes which is was very popular uh and it's not easy actually was also another uh, i think that's the one yeah. There's, yeah there's a and these are great songs. she has a great voice uh it's it, you know it's not something that you would even think about because i mean she doesn't resonate as much as willie nelson yeah. or Waylon jennings but because you would buy these albums and listen to these albums all the way through, because you couldn't just buy one song, you would consume this and you would get yeah. that exposure. Tom Paul Glazier, uh, yeah, as we noted, not nearly as famous. Apparently, only on this album because Waylon Jennings wanted him to be on this. Album. I think he was. Well, I mean, all these guys were singers and songwriters and, and writing songs for other people for other as well. people. So, I think he, so he was more. Yeah, well. he was more yeah. of a songwriter and uh, but a good friend of Waylon Jennings and Waylon wanted him not just. Uh, to have songs on the album, he wanted to perform them. He has a couple on here. Uh, one is great, but it's hard to find, as we noted. Uh, you can't really pull them up. Uh, but one is called um, uh, "Put Another Log on the Fire," uh, chauvinistic <laughs> male chauvinistic anthem, and it's pretty cute. I actually invite people to try and track it down. And Did, there's could you, a could you find it on YouTube? There's a live uh, performance of okay. him on YouTube, and the song is actually uh, quite uh, strangely progressive. It's really all about. Uh, a woman, how a woman does everything in a, in this gentleman's relationship, uh, and he keeps telling her, you know, uh, you know, put another log on the fire, go up, jack up the car, and change the tire, you know, just do sew my socks, sew my blue jeans, you know, do all these things, and uh, then when you've got time, why don't you sit down and tell me why you're leaving me? 
So it's pretty cute. I'm going to have to look for this one. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty solid. Yeah, I'm not sure why. It must be a rights issue, but you, it, this happens so. every now and then on Apple Music where you've got an album and certain songs are And you can't verboten. pull them up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's too bad. But nevertheless, I mean, your listeners are invited to go check that out. It's a pretty good recording. Definitely check out Jesse Coulter, too, independently. Far, uh, very famous in her own Hell of a voice. Oh, amazing voice for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there we okay. are. So I think, I think this was a successful uh, run through the first iteration of... We're still just going to call this Brad and Ned's top five albums. I think Brad so. and Ned's top five albums. We'll go with it. Can you can you give us a sneak peek in what you're going to be talking about next week? So next do week, do you know? Uh, yeah, I think I do know. Actually, it's going to be Cause, another. Because if you say it, you're you're bound to it. Yeah, no, it, uh, probably uh, I won't spill it right now. We want to keep people on their edge. It will be another commercially popular one, uh, but also very personal to me. All right, and I'm going to be talking, since we're not naming names, I'm no, not going to name names. names, so stay tuned. But I'm going to continue my, my journey through my, through my childhood. So I've done my early childhood uh, listening to my parents' records. It's now going into, you know, the beginnings of adolescence when I'm listening to my older brother's records. Oh, so, go. so It's, it's going to get edgier, I think. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little edgier. A little edgier, edgier than a Harvard mathematician. Also, <laughs> yes, I'm going to tell you, this is actually going to be my embarrassing album because I'm pretty oh, really? sure. That, that, yeah, this is an album. I'm going to have to dig it up because I haven't listened to it since probably I was, I was 13 years old. I've got a feeling it's terrible. But, you know, uh, I so I'm going to inject here. I think we should have our terrible albums on the same podcast. Okay, are you can do your terrible album tomorrow, or not tomorrow. Let's okay, let's next, do our let's episode. do our terrible albums next week. Sounds our good. embarrassing albums yeah. next week. Do I know yours. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think I know yours. Yeah, you do know mine. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty cheesy. Uh, great. Well, there is another reason to tune in. Embarrassing albums of yeah. uh, Brad and Ned's top five. I, I feel mine isn't embarrassing enough, but we'll discuss that. Uh... You might surprise yourself. Yeah, that's true. I've, <laughs> right. I've always been able to embarrass those around me. On that note, thank you for tuning in. Have a good night, everyone.